Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? There's some fantastic performances, lots of boobs and balls. It's been promoted along the lines of it being a guilty pleasure, but it's about as guilty as jaywalking. I think that you're both wrong, wrong, wrong. Oh, here we go. <laughs> but I like the way that they've subverted the trajectory of them all being heinous bitches to each other. I have one word for you. Tedious. Oh, there's been this new law passed in France, which means everyone must get about completely in the nude. There may not be eyes being scratched out, there may not be bricks being thrown through windows, but there's a lot of passive-aggressive energy. Oh, yeah, she's a size 10. A country road size 10. Welcome to Binge List, your weekly guide to the best of TV. I'm your host, Matthew Denby, and joining me in the studio are Who Magazine's TV experts, Claire Rigdon and Gavin Scott. Welcome back, guys. Hello. Hello there. Well, this week we delve into the lives of the wives and girlfriends of AFL stars in Ten's new drama series, Playing for Keeps. This one's been heavily promoted by Ten, so you've probably already seen the ads. What about the show, though, Gavin? What did you think? Well, yeah, it has been promoted. It's been promoted along the lines of it being a guilty pleasure, but it's about as guilty as jaywalking. If you're (laughs) expecting Australia's belated answer to footballers' wives, you're in for a disappointment. This is nowhere near as over the top, and it could really do with being a bit more so. In fact, it could do with being a bit more of just about everything. Everything feels a bit undercooked and pedestrian. The women aren't differentiated enough. Olympia Valance, I guess she plays the bitch, but she's not very bitchy. She kind of has the odd bitchy comment, but then she's nice most of the time. And the other three, uh, yeah, they're all just kind of nice. Where's the conflict? It's dull. They don't have to be having cat fights and, you know, throwing each other into swimming pools and that kind of dynasty stuff. But they aren't even really frenemies. In a world of Real Housewives, it just feels a bit tepid. If if the show's going to focus on these women, where's where's the drama and conflict between them? They all get along way too well. My (laughs) other problem is there's just too much exposition. There's, you know, there's the radio commentator who fills you in on all the backstory. That's just really heavy-handed. Um, and the good stuff, and some of it has been teased on the promos. People won't have seen it yet. Um, but there's, uh, there's there's some sex in there. There's a death. It all gets buried in, in, you know, later on in that first episode. And, you know, up front we have this boring dialogue and countless scenes establishing that Paige... Yeah. Paige, who plays the the newcomer, um, her boyfriend's just been hired as a rookie to uh, of this AFL uh, club. Uh, you know, establishing that she's a fish out of water, and they establish that about five or six times, and yet we get the point. Um, <laughs> so for me, it feels about five years out of date. It's the kind of drama that they would have made back in the days of Pact of the Rafters or McLeod's Daughters. But Claire, I know you maybe yeah. disagree. I do, and I look. I mean, not to get all like sort of men v women but I I do wonder if it's a chick thing because for me it reminded me a bit of wrong girl 2.0 you know that show that was Mm -hmm. on last year and the year before but and and it got canned but like I've kind of had a bit of a wrong girl slash offspring 
sized hole in my life and I actually feel like playing for keeps kind of plugged it and I think it's a good thing like the thing about this show is that it's not trying to be like the British version of Footballers Wives it's not trying to be bitchy and chicks you know gouging each other's eyes out with stiletto heels it's it's actually a little bit of a love letter to the sisterhood which you don't necessarily get from that promo that 10 were flogging like a dead horse. It was actually a really good promo and I was like, oh, this is going to be so juicy. Um, and then I watched the first episode and, yeah, I kind of agree with you, Gav, in that, yeah, the, like, it was just, it was nice. And But that's not a bad thing, right? Like I really feel like these kind of shows and like Sisters, which has now got a new birth on Netflix, um, they really do fill a hole. And I think that, you know, it, it's uh, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. I mean, yeah, it, it, I really love the women cast in the central roles. I love Madeline West. She's always great. Olympia Valance is believable um, as sort of the multi-layered, quasi-bitchy character that she plays. And Annie Maynard, who um, I discovered via Upper Middle Bogan, is quite great in this too, playing, I have to say, quite a similar character to the one she plays in Bogan. But... um. But I like the way that they've subverted the trajectory of them all being heinous bitches to each other because, like, in this world of The Bachelor and there's plenty of heinous cows out there and I kind of liked the fact that they all had each other's backs. But I don't know, Gab, you sound like you're 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 tapping out. Well, yeah, I I just kind of think, yeah, I mean, that's nice and maybe these women do get on in real life. Does not make for good TV drama? I don't know, Matt. What do you think? I think that you're both wrong, wrong, wrong. Oh, here we go. (laughs) I think, Gavin, there is no lack of conflict in this. And I think, Claire, this is not a love letter to the sisterhood. There may not be eyes being scratched out. There may not be bricks being thrown through windows. But there's a lot of passive-aggressive energy and per- and there sort of down-low yeah. personality clashes. Way down low. Like that's when, every group of girls, right? Well, you're better to answer that than we. But um, <laughs> what about with Talia sending Paige the dresses for, for her party launch? I mean, yeah. how passive-aggressive was that? And that, is and that the- comment... About, oh, yeah, she's a size 10, a country road size 10. Now, any woman will know that that is a massive burn. <laughs> it is, it is. But it's also a burn that's been lifted straight from Kath and Kim. I didn't find that joke very original. Uh, that yeah, that joke enough. is about 15 years old. Fair um, enough. Yes, yes, yes. I thought, you know, some of the sort of the character interactions were very interesting and amusing. The observations of the behaviour between them was good. I thought where the show was on shaky ground was when um, plot lines started to interfere fear and all of that like we have this adoption scandal that comes out of nowhere and then all of a sudden there's a death which comes out of nowhere again both completely unnecessary I thought you know this is where it's a bit weak this is where it's a bit undercooked Um, I think it is a good show I think it's going to be a big hit in the AFL states especially Victoria Melbourne yeah yeah. definitely I don't know how it's going to do up north that's the big question but it's an entertaining show it's not going to be a blockbuster but it will be a solid hit and I think we will at least to get a second season out of it. But I, I, yeah, but can I can I just say one major reason that we should all be watching it is because, and I'm just going to put it out there, there's some proper man candy in this. Like Jackson Gallagher, who plays Olympia Valance's um, fiancé in this, and, and he's the captain of the football team. He is flat out Baelicious in this. I don't want to sound like I'm thirsty or anything, but he's gorgeous. And the guy, the young guy who plays the rookie footballer who's Paige's boyfriend, he's really sweet in this as well. So 
you know, those women sitting at home with a block of chocolate and a glass of wine just wanting to have a little bit of a escapist fantasy will probably quite like it. I think it's interesting then um, why Ten have promoted it the way they have promoted it because clearly the um, I mean the, the stuff they're promoting are, you know it, it's a guilty pleasure it, it, you know I, I guess they're trying to sell it like it is a footballer's wives or something like yeah. that but maybe it would have been better concentrating on on you know the the strengths of the show such as they are and um, but I, I don't know I, I do feel like they could have ramped up. The, the, the female characters a, a, a bit more or even just have some diversity in there of the female characters um, I, I think other than Madeline West and Olympia Valance's characters the other two I, I wouldn't even know how to describe them they're just kind of there they're nice they, they kind of well have you seen more than one episode I have I have I watched the second yeah. one thinking okay I'll, I'll give yeah. it I'll give it a chance and I just yeah I feel like because they fleshed out a bit more in the second episode and I'm quite excited to see the third one um, because I think there's going to be an interesting dynamic between Paige and one of the um, central women, and I'm not going to give anything away by talking about it. But I, I am interested to see how where all that all of that goes. Yeah, I just kind of feel like it. That could have been worked into the first episode. It, it really frustrates me when TV shows it, it takes them three episodes to get into their stride. I mean, in this day yeah. of peak TV. Shows really need to do better than that, and you know, cut out some of the the conversations they had in the first episode about um you know bringing bread to the barbecue and people standing oh, around and, and that's the, cute. I like that. that interview with Madeline West at the start. You know about oh, so what's it like to be a wag, which was basically just wall to wall exposition. We didn't need that. Yeah. We didn't need but that. But that's everything, though, Gav. Like really, honestly, it, apart from big big budget shows like um, Handmaids and and. You, you know, it's a really big thing, especially on Australian TV, where often the first and second episode is all about exposition. You know, they don't have enough script editors, and this is my bugbear that we always talk about on this show, but there's not enough pairs of eyes looking at scripts going, that can go, that can mm. go. And they're not giving the audience enough of, you know, enough kind of that benefit of the doubt that, yeah, we get it. Like, yes. you know, this is happening. Yeah, it really frustrates me. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that point. Someone yeah, needs to go through with a black pen. Yep, don't need that. Yep, we can establish that by doing this. Yep, we've got that. And bring some of that stuff from later episodes into that first episode mm, so you yeah. kind of feel like, right, I'm, yeah. Anyway, I, I think we are agreeing on this point, Claire, if nothing else. Oh, maybe we are. What's happened to the world? <laughs> Right, and we spoke to Olympia Valance and Jackson Gallagher about the show, and here's what they had to say. So tell me a little bit about what to expect. I don't know who wants to answer this, but it looks pretty fun. Take one word each. And pretty racy. Um, ah, no, go on, <laughs> um, Okay, I guess what you can expect is uh, very high drama. Mm. Um, and I guess it sort of like delves into... The professional persona of all these people, and then what happens in their private life. Yeah, which right. Is super fascinating. Yeah, and um, very different. And yeah. we can even relate to like us, like my yeah. my prof- the way I am out in public is complete. Like it's not completely different, but there is definitely a, a sense of professionalism. And me yeah. in my own home around my friends is, not <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so it's sort of like it's fun to do both of those. Mm. And my character has like. The worst potty mouth, and like she looks like a bit of a bitch. Is she a bitch? Well, I guess we sort of want the stereotype at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. right. That's, okay. the, that's the thing about it's funny. So, uh, what should people expect? I think with this show, expect the unexpected. I think mm. the way the show is set up and what you go into as an audience, 
It's like, oh, this is a show about wags. And yeah, yeah. You already have a certain expectation, an idea of what that's going to be. But what's so interesting about the show is that I think it really subverts that. Yeah. And you see, you get a glimpse into the life behind all of that, and you get to, yeah, you, you, you learn about these characters and see these people that are actually... People. Yeah. Great stuff. If Playing for Keeps sounds good to you, it's screening on 10 from September 19th. G'day, Tammy Shenandy here, and um, you're listening to The Binge List, which I hope you knew because you <laughs> voluntarily downloaded it and pressed play. Uh, that's all true. Netflix has a big new show this week with Emma Stone and Jonah Hill starring in a remake of the cult Norwegian series Maniac. This one deals with the participants in a bizarre medical trial for a new psychiatric pill. What's real and what isn't, and does it matter? What did you think, Claire? Uh, I've watched five episodes of this show and I'm I'm actually completely hooked. It's one of those ultimate binge shows. But a lot of people will probably bail out, I have to say, because it's a very, very strange series. And it, I can tell you after six episodes, it doesn't get any easier to understand. So the reason I'm persisting is because Emma Stone and Jonah Hill, who are two Oscar-winning A-list Hollywood actors, are absolutely... Absolutely incredible in their portrayals of two individuals who sign up for a drug trial. And in this drug trial, they enter fantasy worlds in their dreams in order to get rid of their emotional pain. And they do this in a very strange lab and they're monitored by very strange scientists in white coats. And it's all very bizarre. And it's basically all the brainchild of a guy called Kerry Fukunaga, who people will perhaps know he's very, very successful cult director and he's the guy behind the first series of True Detective, which honestly is one of the best TV series I've ever seen. And if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour. It's got Woody Harrelson and um, Matthew McConaughey. It's so great. Don't watch episode. Don't watch series two of True Detective. It sucks. But anyway, series one, amazing. So he's the guy behind this, and he's created this very, very strange world. It's kind of parts Mr. Robot, a little bit Blade Runner, a little bit Stranger Things, but completely and wholly original. Like you really haven't ever seen anything like this. It's a bit of a drama. It's a bit of a comedy. It can switch from being very, very dark to being extremely funny within the space of, you know, t- two seconds. Like, it's it's bizarre. And at the heart of it is Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. And honestly, I think, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, but they're two of the best actors, young actors in Hollywood at the moment. And um, it's a real coup for them, you know, they t- for this to be the project they've decided to um, be involved in in television. So, and I'm along for the ride and I can tell you, I really hope there's a payoff because if there's not, I'm going to be really quite pissed off because as yet, I'm still really confused and I'm six steps in. So, yeah, what did you guys think? Gav, have you watched it? I, I have. I have one word for you. Tedious. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. The fact that you have to get through five or six episodes and still know, <laughs> not know what's going on, that says everything to me for, for why. But with Stranger Things, though, and we all persisted with that, and we got a great payoff at the end, and it was awesome. Well, he, here's my experience of the two episodes I've sat through, and I'm not sitting through anymore. <laughs> but, you know, it's about a dr- drug trial. We didn't get to the drug trial until halfway through uh, episode two. I mean, it was kind of flirted with at the end of episode one when it was telling – episode one tells Jonah Hill's backstory mostly and episode two <clears throat> mostly tells Emma Stone's backstory. 
And it's just so much backstory. And then we finally get to this drug trial and then the episode ends. And I'm like, what is this show about? But is it backstory, Gavin? Or is it well, part of some of this strange dreamscape that they kind of... Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Really and, weird. and to be honest, I'm not going to sit through eight episodes in the hope that there will be some point to this <laughs> or some yeah, payoff or, or some explanation. But and I love the universe he's created, which is the entire reason why I will be sticking with it. Because even if nothing really happens, I kind of am enjoying just being um, along for the ride, which is how I felt with True Detective as well. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't need to be spoon-fed. I don't need to be, you know, obvi- obviously playing for keeps, that was my problem. I was being spoon-fed. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, um, totally. but uh, with, you know, with Maniac, I'm like, it, it's basically just a long film where the filmmaker filmmaker hasn't felt the need to edit himself because he's like, oh, I've got eight <laughs> episodes. I can make this go for as long as I want. <laughs> there I, can is stre- a bit of that. I can stretch this out for 40 minutes and, and not have anything happen. Um, you know, let's just throw every idea in and, you know, let it go for five minutes. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel like it, it's a little bit self-indulgent. It's a little bit all over the place and I would like a little bit more focus for me to go, oh, okay, I kind of get what's going on here. I don't even, I don't even know what's going on. Who, who are these people? What is, what is the point of the show? Well, and yeah. why should we care? And you know, I, I haven't really got time to sit around for three or four episodes to, to discover that. So I'm out. What about you, Matt? Oh. <laughs> Look, I, I think this is quality TV. It's high quality TV, but that doesn't mean that you're going to like it and it doesn't mean you're going to stick it out. And I didn't yeah. really like it. I think it was, oh, yeah, uh, right. at best, very disorienting, um, sometimes almost even traumatising. Um, uh, the plot line is so obscure and all over the place. It's a puzzle that you're supposed to put together. Sometimes you're just not in the mood for that, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of, I ended up focusing on how it made me feel primarily. Mm-hmm. And it didn't make me feel great. Um, things I did find interesting, though, were the production design. It's very sort yeah, of early amazing. 80s sci-fi movie, early 80s to yeah. mid 80s sci-fi. There's a dining table in here, which um, is very central to a lot of the scenes, which is exactly like the one from Alien. I'm sure that's not a mistake. Um, <laughs> yeah. People are smoking, again, similar to Alien. So it's sort of like a view of the future that doesn't sort of gel with the present. It's sort of like... Is so, it a what's, parallel future, perhaps? Hmm. Just saying. It's sort of you could see it as a, um, a vision of the future from somebody from the mid to early eighties, perhaps. There are anachronisms. There are allusions to various things which sort of didn't come to pass. This show is all about perception. It's about what is reality, what is sanity. A lot of pill popping, but at the end of the day, it's still just grim. I didn't enjoy it. I think it's really interesting. I read an article with um, Fukunaga who basically couldn't believe his luck when Netflix took this project on because he got access to all of their innermost secrets and all their algorithms and he got to find out exactly how people watch TV series. He had access to their data. And it's like it's worth trying to Google this interview. I can't remember where it was. might have been Variety where he talks about how each episode is crafted to maximise the binge potential of the series. So it's really interesting that both of you guys bailed out early on well because you have to binge it you know you have yeah, to. yeah you do yeah if you watch one episode a week i mean it's dropping all at once so you don't have to do that but if you were to watch it over time i, I don't think you would make sense of it or continue with it it is no. designed to binge because you watch it all back to back like a big film and then mm. hopefully get to the end and go oh okay oh that that all hung together really well 
But you've got to invest in that eight episodes. And with so much other TV on, I think a lot of people are just going to go, nah, not getting it, don't care, not going to get to the end, yeah. see ya. So, you know, some people will love it. And, you know, the fact that, Claire, you're almost at the end, um, mm. I, I, you'll have to tell us, you have to tell us what happens at the end or yeah, if will, it does yeah. make sense. Or is it just a massive tease for season two? And if it is, I'll be really pissed off. Like, to be to flat out, I'll, to be honest, I will be really shitty because eight hours is a long time in this world of peak TV, as you say. Well, Maniac is certainly interesting viewing, so do give it a try. I'm not going to guarantee that you're going to stick it out. It's available on Netflix from September 21. TV News. It's TV News time, and true crime has never been hotter, with the ABC bringing us Exposed, the case of Kelly Lane, on September 25. This three-parter deals with the notorious disappearance of two-day-old Tegan Lane and her mother Kelly's conviction and imprisonment for murder. This week we've got a special guest in the studio, who's features director Stephen Downey, who is all over this case and this series. Stephen, for those of us not up to speed, what makes this case so fascinating? It's one of the most, I guess, controversial cases and it's one of the most uh, confusing in a lot of ways too. Okay, so the thing is, Tegan Lee Lane was born on September 12, 1996 at Auburn Hospital. That's fact. Two days later, the newborn vanished and she was never seen again. So the baby's mother, Kelly Lane, is currently serving 18 years in prison for murdering Tegan. What's interesting about this documentary is that uh, it's an ABC journalist reinvestigating the case. And is there anything new coming to uh, bear in this show? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's really fascinating is that um, Caro Meldrum Hanna, the ABC journalist, has interviewed people that weren't interviewed by police. So there's some, there's some really interesting stuff coming up in the first episode and as a second episode too, some really fascinating stuff with the um, the people that haven't had a chance to speak. And also, it must be said that Kelly Lane herself has never had a chance to speak. She didn't give evidence at the trial. What's really fascinating, I thought too, was in this documentary, you see that it was Kelly Lane who approached Karen Meldrum Hanna and, and said, please tell my story. Now, Lane is a notorious liar. Was Caro uh, Meldrum Hannah wary of working with her on the case? She certainly was. She made, made her fairly wary initially of, um, of wanting to take on this case as well. But the interesting thing is that when she spoke to her, when she actually spoke to her over the phone, I think she was expecting a sort of someone a bit rambly or possibly delusional, but she said she was actually quite lucid. And the more she spoke to her over the phone, I think, you know, the more she should have warmed her as this person who was, was articulate uh, and and really just 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 wanted to to be heard. Does she interview anyone else of note in this series? There's lots of people she interviews. There's is you know there's boyfriends, there's family members, and you know people that she played water polo with. Kelly Lane was a water polo champion. She was playing for New South Wales. She had dreams of of playing for Australia in the Sydney Olympics. So yeah, she goes and and, and interviews people that were part of that uh, scene back in the day. Well, let's hear a bit from journalist Caro Meldrum Hannah about the show and about the case. <laughs> This, this this person to the public is a notorious convicted baby killer and there's nothing there could be nothing worse than murdering a defenseless helpless vulnerable two-year-old baby I mean it's it's heinous what she's what what she has been found guilty of and I expected I did I expected someone to be for her to be possibly aggressive defensive delusional in denial maybe 
be incapable of putting together lucid sentences because, of course, she, she never answered questions in court or at the inquest. So I, mm. it was, you know, a mystery as to what, how she was going to speak or etc. Mm. And what I found was someone who was lucid, who, who listened, mm. uh, who was logical, um, and calm. Okay. Of course, she probably would have been waiting a long time mm. and practicing. Who knows? To making that phone call. You know, thinking about her tone, everything. I'm not inside her head. I don't know. So, but I, I was surprised in that. And I remember putting down the phone, and our researcher said, "Well, I was a bit in, you know, in shock." And she said, "Oh my gosh, that is so not what I expected. I expected someone really." formidable and mm. and intimidating gee you know mm. Carrie do you think maybe it's possible that she <laughs> she shouldn't be in jail so even just from that one phone call within the team there was already a conversation mm. about what the possibilities could be to me it seems strange that uh, that she was convicted with nobody no blood yes. no real evidence at all see with Lindy Chamberlain I guess that the only thing I can related to is with Lindy Chamberlain and, and Azaria Chamberlain. Remember, there was that little bloody jumpsuit, mm. that, that awful discovery, sad, of that little bloody jumpsuit, which then immediately gave, now oh, here we go, it, it looked, here's something that certainly suggests or is very much evidence that this baby met an untimely end. Yeah. You, you can't draw any other inferences from that when you found a bloody jumpsuit and a baby that's disappeared. Yeah. With this, there just there, there isn't anything. There are her lies with concealing pregnancies and changing her stories. Mm. But there wasn't anything conclusively, anything pointing to the fact that this baby had met an untimely end. There was no bloody jumpsuit. It was just a vanishing. I mean, you, 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 adults can vanish. Adults can, can up and leave. But a baby, it's, I mean... It's implausible that a, that a baby can just up and leave. But yeah. is that baby dead? And I think, and certainly the coroner, John Abernathy, at the inquest, he's really struggled with that, with the fact that there's no conclusive evidence here that that baby is actually dead, but I'm satisfied she probably is. Different different standard of, of proof or set of rules for, for an inquest. And I, I think, yeah, it's, it's something that a lot of people grapple with and for good reason. But maybe Kelly Lane is using that mm. as a as her hopeful get out of jail card. You know, well, there's, there is no body, so I haven't done it. She's not even dead. Mm. That's a very simplistic thing to say, mm. and I don't think. But you know, and here's the other thing too that went around and around in my mind when I was making this. Why would Kelly Lane re-expose this awful past, this ugly past? Why would she poke around in these old wounds? Why would she re-traumatise the few people that still stand by her? Why would she want to do this, have it all exposed and dug into again? You know, it would take a special kind and a very, very dark mind to do that, who's guilty of this, of this awful crime. You know, what would be motivating her to do that, to put her, her parents through this again, etc.? And she's just adamant. She, she's innocent, she's innocent, she's innocent, I want out. 
Right, fascinating stuff. Now, Stephen, I understand there's a bit of a surprise coming up in the second episode of the series. Yeah, that's right. Basically, uh, Caro Meldrum Hannah says that there's a possibility Kelly Lane might actually be telling the truth and, and the door of possibility is, is flung open. I'm really excited to see that. I have to ask, I'm not a huge true crime fan. I've watched a few shows because of this podcast. And um, so, so tell me, Stephen, why should I be watching Exposed? I don't listen to Serial. I haven't listened to Teacher's Pet. I'm aware that all this stuff is going on and all these cases are being reopened and all these fascinating facts are being rediscovered. But nothing's pulled me in yet. What's going to pull me in with Exposed? I think it's a possibility that there could be could be new evidence here. It's also I really like the way the um, the investigation is 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 done. I think it's fascinating that we do see Karen Meldrum Hannah going in there and knocking on doors, hitting some brick walls occasionally. I, I just think it, as a journalist, it's an interesting um, uh, approach to a story. Yeah, I mean that's what really struck me about watching the first episode um, was just how compelling this story is. I mean, there's so many things about this case that are just so bizarre and hearing them revisited again in the first episode because really I mean as someone who's very familiar with the case um, and and followed it quite closely at the time there's nothing particularly new in the first episode except for the fact that you hear from Kelly herself which is endlessly fascinating even though they're only in six minute chunks because she's obviously phoning in from prison and she's only allowed six minutes at a time on the phone to Caro which is interesting but yeah it's kind of um I think, Gavin, in answer to your question, I reckon what's going to make you interested is, 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 is the thought that perhaps episode two and three, as Caro says, is going to lift the lid because, I mean, yeah, I just, I'm fascinated to know what it is that, that, that they're holding out on here. The producers haven't released episodes three, uh, two and three to media, which is very unusual, which would imply that possibly there's something incredibly newsworthy, perhaps they're you know, given uh, given a brief to the police on new, you know, new evidence or yeah, it's the, right from the get go. It's it's really really interesting and it's just so weird. It's yeah, I loved it. One of the other things um, I found really interesting too, Claire, is that there's a moment where she's where she's interviewing uh, the mother, Sandra. Oh, yeah. She asked, why didn't you know about the the, uh, the pregnancies? How could you not have known? You're the mother. And uh, Sandra says, well, you know, everyone was wearing loose clothing back then. Mm. And I suddenly thought, really? Is I mean, okay, we were all sort of getting around in baggy pants and shirts. I, still, but she's a, she's a swimmer. She's a water polo. You would have seen the, uh, the swimming yeah. costume. That, to me, was the most interesting part of episode one. And um, people who haven't seen it or are, are going to be watching it when it plays out pay particular attention to the interview she does with Kelly's parents. It's a fascinating study in human interaction. I don't want to say too much and I certainly don't want to pass judgment on anyone. It's an incredibly difficult thing to have to talk about and relive. Um, but, yeah, that, that some of the interviews she does, I mean, she's just, it's like an exercise in journalism 101. She's a very, very skilled interviewer and it's really fascinating to just sit back and watch it all unfold. This show looks like it's going to be must-watch viewing. I'm certainly going to be watching it. And Exposed, the case of Kelly Lane, begins on September 25 on the ABC. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. To binge or not to binge? That is the question. Claire, you've been watching A Very English Scandal, which is airing on BBC First from September 20. Yeah, I have. It's it's quite interesting, actually. This series, uh, it's a mini-series, is based on a book of the same name and it's essentially the dramatisation of a period in time in British history between 1976 and 1979, which looks at the Jeremy Thorpe scandal, like 
people who are a little bit older will definitely remember this, but I had no idea what it was all about. But basically it saw the leader of the British Labor Party, uh, Jeremy Thorpe, played by Hugh Grant in this, trying to attempt to murder his gay lover, Norman Scott. This is for real what happened. Uh, so it deals with the 15 years leading up to that point, and Hugh Grant is really great in it. I also love Ben Whishaw, who is one of my favourite British actors. Um, he plays Norman, this deeply strange guy who was at one point in a relationship with Hugh's character. The thing is, though, if you close your eyes, you could be listening to Paddington Bear because he is the voice of Paddington. <laughs> so I kind of, as someone with a small child and who's seen those movies a lot, it was a bit disorientating. But it's very well scripted. Grant is just loathsome as Jeremy Thorpe. And I love how unhinged Ben is in this. I had no idea that this was based on a true story, which makes it even more compelling in my book. And so I got into this ginormous Googling K-hole where I was just looking up info on Norman Scott and Jeremy Thorpe and what happened to them. And and actually I found an article that The Sun, that tabloid British newspaper did recently where they tracked down the guy, where tracked down Norman Scott who was still alive at that point. And it's pretty interesting to get his take on things and to get his take on this British drama reenactment of what happened. So yeah, if, if this is uh, tickling your fancy, get a, give it a look. It's um, it's pretty niche, but it's interesting. Sounds really good. And Gavin, you've been watching Black Comedy season three on the ABC. I have. I've, I've never watched this for for no real reason. I've only really seen bits of the titters because the the clips of those two um really camp <laughs> camp gay guys. What's this then? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you know those those clips have gone viral. But other than that, I've never really watched Black Comedy. Um, and the titters aren't in this third season, or they weren't in the first episode of it. And it's probably a good idea to rest them this time around, so that joke doesn't become too stale. But um, I really liked it. And we've talked before on on the podcast about how Australia has struggled with comedy, especially sketch comedy, and this is the exception to the rule. It's really current. It's not afraid to be silly, but it also, uh, also makes a point at the same time, and it understands the need for brevity. It gets in, it makes its jokes, it gets out. Uh, there, there's a, a sketch in the first episode, Bondi Blackfella. Awesome. And there was this gag with two Indigenous girls dumping their token white girlfriend. That was very funny as well. That's so good. The production quality is quite high, which I wasn't expecting because sketch comedy often looks really cheap. But this doesn't at all. It, it really looks um, really looks like a quality production. And I actually wanted to keep watching rather than having to keep watching. I mean, so often I'm, I watch a show and I have to watch yeah. because, because I have to review it or I have to, you know, have to get to the end to see what's going to happen. This I actually really wanted to keep watching and uh, and. I even considered, um, you know, going ahead to the second episode, but I think I will probably link it on my IQ and tune in every week. It's it's really good for um, for Australian comedy and obviously for you know Indigenous culture in this country to have a show like this on air. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I would say binge sounds good. I love it too. Now, Claire, uh, hidden gems are often the best, wouldn't you say? And you've been watching Nude on SBS. Yeah, Nude. Um, you might have seen the promos for this. It's very funny. Lots of nude bits. Um, and it is SBS after all. So mm-hmm. essentially the premise to this is it's the year 2026 and an ex-police detective called Frank Fish has awoken from a coma. It's all very bewildering, especially since five years previously. Uh, yeah, he was just living a fairly normal life. I should point out at this point that it's actually a French series and it is subtitles. So anyway, in the time since uh, it's lapsing into his coma, there's been this new law passed in France, which means everyone must get about completely in the nude. <laughs> 
And they've even got a new catchphrase to go with it. Liberté, égalité, nudité. So it's all about people being transparent and uh, obviously sort of um, lowering the risk of terrorism and various um, subversive activities. So it's a very strange concept and it's actually really intriguing. And as the series goes on, it's amazing how used you get to seeing people completely nude. I mean, we're talking like no holds bar, full frontal nudity and all body shapes and all ages. So not just hot, young, nubile people like Adam, that show Adam looking for Eve on SBS. This is like old, fat people. Um, but it, So it just becomes kind of a non-issue. And by episode five, People in clothes, uh, it, so pe- a few people in clothes pop up and it really jars with you, which is so interesting. Um, yeah, there's some fantastic performances, lots of boobs and balls, and it's really quite life-affirming because it makes you realise that without clothes, we're all just people and we're all really different. And so this is for anyone who's ever worried about wearing a bikini to the beach because, like, just think, five years from now, the world could be on its head and we all might be getting about completely in the nutty so what are you worried about just wear that bikini this is hilarious and really interesting you should definitely take a look i'm going to check that one out well thanks everyone for joining us if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on apple google podcasts spotify and everywhere else good podcasts are heard until next week happy viewing bye bye Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.